And if you do, if you're a veterinarian who's a feline vet or you do any amount, see any amount of feline patients, you know that they like to come with more than one disease. There it's is just right. no cat with one disease. Yeah, no, that's yeah. The not thing. too long anyway. You just, just wait change. five minutes and they'll yes. get another disease, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, so we know that that's our daily life. So it's really cool. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. And I just surprised you, didn't I? I know you did. Because every time we start the podcast, Yola mm. looks at me and I'm like, and then I go yeah. dead and I don't know what to say. Yeah, she so, went really fast this time. And this is the per podcast, by the way. It is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're very lucky today. And why is that, Dr. Susan? Because we have a special guest with us. We have a very special guest. Yes. And the other thing is we're a very special place. We are in a special place. Yep, absolutely. Um, you've been here more than me. We're in San Francisco. San Francisco for? for the American Association of Feline Practitioners annual conference, which is like the place to be. In? Feline medicine. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, where else? Yeah. And, and what had, does that have to do with our special guest? So our special guest is Dr. April Steele. Yay. Welcome, April. Thank you. I'm so glad to do this and to be here. April is the current president. The president, mm -hmm. the presidente. Yep. Yeah, such an honor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How how many people are in attendance this year? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me. Yeah, that. like yes. roughly fifteen hundred. <gasps> no kidding. We That's are higher huge. than we've ever yeah. been. Yeah, we were about eighteen percent over expectations coming into this last week. It's been amazing. The interest is outstanding. I knew it would be more, but I had no idea it was that much more. Yeah, because the last couple of years we've had increasing attendance right that's it's, amazing it's been going up every year and i think the topic of com complex mm. disease so mm -hmm. not just having one disease but when you have multiple diseases at the same time we don't talk about that too mm -hmm. much in veterinary medicine but we face it every single day and when one treatment exacerbates the other condition it gets very complicated so i think that resonated well with yeah it's, it's a great topic so afp always has a theme for uh, for the for their annual conference, not surgery, sadly. <laughs> it has been. Ne next year is head and neck, so there's going to be surgery to head and neck. There's and, and there, neck, so I, I yeah. know head and neck is good. Yeah. yeah, but I think this is the first time we have uh, focused on like concurrent and complex disease management, right? right? And if you do, if you're a veterinarian who's a feline vet, or you do any amount, see any amount of feline patients, you know that they like to come with more than one disease. There it's is just right. no cat with one disease. Yeah. No, that's yeah. the not for long anyway. It. You just, just wait change. five minutes and they'll yes. get another disease, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. so we know that that's our daily life. So it's really cool. Good. That we yeah, finally no, have a meeting focused on this. It's good. And it's been interesting because the willingness of the presenters to redo their entire presentations for the subject, it's not an easy thing mm. to do. And many times they have to consult with other people that have a little nuance or treat that other comorbidity so it's been mm -hmm. very interesting yeah because we we typically um don't lecture like that right we right. lecture like only about kidney disease or only about arthritis but we don't often lecture where we combine them right so the real world the real world, the real world. <laughs> which is the way it should be it's really the way it should be so yeah so i know it's a challenge for people but it's it's good it maybe it will um also help us foster more presentations like this where there's multiple diseases in a, in a presentation so so i so we know that you're very busy because this is the annual meeting and it's um and uh, there's so many people here and it's going well so we're very happy that you can mm -hmm. spend some time with us talking about 
AFP and stuff. Yeah, and give a little bit of background. Yeah, tell us about Where yourself. Where are you from? Yeah, myself. What's your so, story? What's your story? <laughs> I'm from Denver, Colorado. I am born and raised, and I went to Colorado State University and had a little sidetrack to the Veterinary Corps in the Army and during Desert Storm, and Ooh, then came oh, wow. back and... Um, I started my own practice two years after I graduated from veterinary wow. school, and I practiced wow. for 16 years, a very cat-friendly practice in Denver. And about four and a half years ago, I was asked to be the successor for the CEO of a animal shelter in Denver called the Dumb Friends League. And so I took over that role about a year and a half ago and sold my practice. And now I advocate for cats and dogs in a very different way. Um, but it is definitely my passion. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. So let's go back to the beginning, Desert Storm. Yes, it's not as dramatic as it sounds. And mm -hmm. that I was a food <laughs> inspection specialist. Okay. And yes. mostly inspecting food going over. Most of the time I was in Stockton, California, which during Desert Storm had more murders than Americans dying in Desert Storm, but really? that was just a, that's a, an interesting statistic. Yeah, that was an interesting statistic. Stockton, California. Where is that? What's it near? It's um, Lodi. Do you know? Not too far from Sacramento okay. Okay. in the San Joaquin Valley. Mm -hmm. Well, but so I know it may not sound exciting to do food inspection, but it does point out the fact that veterinarians do a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? Other than just like treating animals and that it is important to do food inspection after all. It's very important. Yeah, it is. And exactly. how many veterinarians do that in the army? What's the estimation? Do you know? I have no idea. I know mm -hmm. the army does it for all of the services. Yeah. So uh -huh. it is all within the army, but I just don't know that. Number. Mm. And it is, you know, obviously it's really important to do this to be able to guarantee the, the food that Safety. people eat. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to fight a situation. war if you're sick. Yeah. I know, that's exactly it. So, uh, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, that's, that's amazing. So, and it, 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 it shows how important it is, how important our profession is, because you can go anywhere, really, mm -hmm. if you think yep. about it. And it's so, part of One Health. And it's part of One Health. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Human so. and animal health together. Yeah, and then so you opened your own practice. Always a brave thing to do, huh? Yeah, it was, it was, Lovely. It was so much fun. And if I knew, I didn't know what I needed to know, but that was probably a good thing. You never do. You might have You would never do it, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad I did. And um, it was in 1999. And it was, uh, when I bought it, it was a cat-only holistic practice. And mm -hmm. I was a traditional veterinarian, traditional medicine veterinarian that served cats and dogs. So I did the blasphemous thing in the AAFP and went, made it from a cat practice to a cat and dog practice Ooh. but even 17 years later we were more than 60 percent cats so it was a very cat-centric mm -hmm. practice and lovely clients would do whatever they needed to do it was a cat-friendly practice at the gold level mm -hmm. and just really care deeply about those relationships with our patients and our clients a species fluid practice a species fluid <laughs> practice i like that there you I go like with a focus on cats yes so it must have been a hard decision to leave that and yes. go to Dumb Friends League. I bet, yeah. yeah. It was, and I actually declined the opportunity three times. Really? Um, mainly because I, I like to say I was in my box. I was yeah. thinking in this box mm -hmm. of I am a veterinarian, I heal, I love surgery. This is what I, I do. This is who I am and what I do. And I've always respected the Dumb Friends League. And I have to say for people that don't know the Dumb Friends League, dumb is not that mm -hmm. they're not smart. Mm -hmm. It's that they can't, they don't have the power of human speech and we speak for them. And we've been around since 1910. And that was a common use of the word dumb back At that there. time. So right. yes, you are hearing me say Dumb Friends 
league. <laughs> quite a lot. Um, quite a lot. Um, and, it, and it's good that you say that because the first time that I heard about it, I was like, what a dumb name. Right. <laughs> yeah, I hear and it often. And, but then it is also really to remember. So it's mm -hmm. different than any of the other names yep. that, that we encounter quite a lot. And so it's stuck. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's an uncommon use of the of the word, but it is now. Yeah. Now yeah. nowadays, yeah. But finally, I realized I could be impacting twenty two thousand animals a year wow. that don't have advocates, mm -hmm. and every one of my patients had an advocate, and they were going to get care whether I was the one giving it or someone else was the one giving mm -hmm. it, and that's what convinced me to to this. And it's amazing to lead a team of two hundred and eighty people serving animals in our community. Wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. Very, very that's lovely. Awesome. It yeah. is awesome, and so, and 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 people like you who take on that challenge because it's a challenge, and it's really shifted you out of your Mm -hmm. box mm -hmm. yes right? yeah my hat is off to people like you who do oh, that so thank, thank you, you. Yeah. yeah we we need more going back to your clinic what were some difficult things that you had to deal with owning a practice mm. i i think it wasn't the medicine or the surgery mm. or it was always staff, staff. <laughs> staff, staff. always yeah you can tell two and clinic owners go staff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and learning the lesson I ended up with an amazing staff. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how wonderful those people are. Um, but it took figuring out that teams, in my experience, tend to manage down to the lowest common denominator instead of rising to the highest. Mm. So you get to choose where that lowest common denominator is. And if you're tolerating misbehavior and you know tantrums or you know whatever mm. that is, lack of accountability, that's what you're going to get. And once I figured that out, it was it was a lot easier. I had been in practice for six months and I was audited by the city of Denver. Oh, oh my. So, um, and it was the auditor's very first audit. So he had to find it. Like he oh. had his book out and he was trying to find every little thing. The good news is that they owed me money after the audit oh. and I learned a lot. So I didn't have 10 or 18 years of this misinformation that I built mm. upon. So it actually ended up being a blessing in disguise, but incredibly stressful and you're, you just start a practice. My gosh. I, th I think something that you said really resonates with me and it goes back to the sentence, if you build it, they will come. So mm -hmm. if you build an environment that is good, uh, you will attract certain people yep. that are, yeah. Yeah, and if you have the not good, those great people don't want to stay. Mm. They don't want to live that every day. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. here, but here's the hard part, right? Like we don't get trained for that in school. No, we all learn this on the job, don't we? Mm -hmm. And you mm. either figure it out um, or you don't. And it takes time and it's a process. And or you hire that. someone that's really good in this. Well, in the beginning, you probably can't afford mm. to hire that's, someone, that's right? True. I had I have one quick story that I just it does stick with me from my my beginning years is I had a, a small staff. So we had three technicians and two receptionists. And one of the receptionists was new and she found out that there were some unethical things that the technicians and the other receptionists were doing that were, were black and white, not mm. acceptable. So mm -hmm. I had to fire my entire staff in one day, except Ooh. for that one receptionist. So, oh, wow. and it was a decision. It was that kind of moment when you say, do I have these ethics or do I not have these mm -hmm. ethics? And I know this is going to be a very hard day, week, month if I do this, but it was the only real decision I could make. Put the phone up and say, hit intercom 10 if you need us. We're in surgery. <laughs> you know, oh, you just wow. make it work. You cope. You cope. You cope. Yeah. That's that that's the the uh the the beautiful life of being a practice owner, right? right. It's having to make the tough decisions like right. that. And but I, I encourage veterinarians to become practice owners. Mm. I think it's the way to to make veterinary medicine progress because you can 
really institute your great ideas and, and change things. And it's it was really good. I could sell my practice, and that's my retirement. Yep. And um, it's, yep. it's the best way, I think, to have a career. Hard work, but it's it's very, really the classical way to be a veterinarian, isn't mm -hmm. it? And it's still it's still yeah. a good way to be Just a veterinarian. Just believe you can and yeah. say yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. When did you get involved with AFP? How long ago? Mm, it's probably been about seven years ago. Yeah. It's been a while now. Mm. Yeah. And yep. yeah, I just came out, came in as a board member and became the delegate with the AVMA representing the AAFP, which I'm still doing as right. well. Right. Right. And then, um, yeah, I went through the leadership process. This yeah. is my president's year. And yeah. It's been great. It is such an amazing experience mm. to be part of the leadership of the AAFP. Yeah. But before we go further with the AFP, I want to go back to Dumb's Friends League first, yeah. if possible, because I think that uh, we have a lot of fun things to talk about AFP and, and some new things too mm -hmm. that we're going to talk yeah. about. Very exciting. Um, so you move from a cap of, of a practice or being a practice owner to leading a shelter organization. And I am always impressed with you and Dumb Friends Leads in general, the amazing relationship that this shelter has with the veterinary profession. And that's not the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this is something I really would like to talk about a little bit. So Absolutely. how did you do, how did you all do it? Because right. obviously your pre predecessor did a lot mm -hmm. there too. Um, how do you, you create a relationship like that? Because shelter is not the enemy. Right, right. Shelter is the biggest source of pet acquisition. So it's the source of your patients yeah mm -hmm. um it's about trust mm -hmm. i mean as is any relationship right so when um i was president of the colorado veteran medical association and interacting with the with the dumb friends league from the veterinary perspective and now it's flipped and i'm on the shelter side interacting with the veterinary community i feel kind of hypocritical how to say that like i have two personalities mm -hmm. when i talk about two the two yeah. um but it's really about trust honesty, transparency. I traveled all over the country when I took this role to learn about sheltering and animal welfare organizations and these relationships shock me. Mm. Um, what I saw, there are many states that actually have legislation and many of your listeners probably know this because they live there, where a nonprofit organization isn't allowed to do any procedure on an owned animal, even an owner requested euthanasia for someone that has no money to to, mm. to provide that for their mm. for their mm. pet, and or if you adopted uh, a female dog that you think is spayed and it turns out that it wasn't spayed, you can't do the surgery. Mm. Um, it puts the so 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 that is obviously an area where there's been a lot of mistrust and fear. Mm. And the interesting thing is when I was in, when I had my practice and it did become a five doctor bear practice, aha, it was great high-end practice. I was the closest veterinary practice to a subsidized veterinary hospital just down the street. And it was for the underserved community, highly discounted fees. There were two other really low cost clinics near me and that, that helped me do my work best. And there was some uh, economic models being done and a paper being written right now about how having a low cost or subsidized veterinary hospital near you if you're a high quality relationship based practice actually improves your bottom line does not take away from what you are doing it's a matter of understanding that there's different um, populations mm -hmm. right so there are the clients that are going to come to and be able to afford to pay for their veterinary care that's the let's say the top third, and then the bottom third are people who would never be able to pay for that care. Some of them don't even know that veterinarians exist. These are This is truly a different population. It's not a client that's getting lost or stolen. It's an animal that's getting 
lack of care and suffering because nobody is, is advocating for mm -hmm. that animal. And so those two tend to be non-controversial. Yes. But when you get that middle third, the gray zone, the gray zone, that's where there's potential for um, clients, those people to become clients to some degree. And especially if the veterinarian is willing to meet them where they are and give them different treatment options. Um, and then there's some of those people that that still can't quite afford that. So that's, I think, where the contention comes. And that's why there needs to be trust and that everyone's making the right decision for those. And how long did that take in Colorado to ensure that trust because probably didn't happen from yesterday to no. today. I, I mean, I really believe the relationship between my predecessor, Bob Rohde, and then um, Ralph Johnson was the executive director mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. CVMA for many years. Mm -hmm. um, probably, you know, it, it's, it's a 10, 20 year process. And that's what people get frustrated with is, that, but that doesn't mean you don't start it. And you, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it can go faster if you're, you know, we were gonna do a cat spay neuter clinic because we see a lot of cats. And uh, instead of just opening it like we wanted to, we went to the Veterinary Association. They um, surveyed their entire membership and the membership said 85% said they would be neutral support or strongly support us opening a free cat spay neuter clinic with no questions asked. And when they got that data, they said, okay, then we're gonna support you and we, you can actually lease space in the headquarters of the CVMA. So it was this relationship, it took us an extra two years to open that, mm. but we had the conversation, we were patient, we got buy-in before we did it. And I think that's key. And the bulk of the cats going to that probably would never have been spayed anyway. Right, and right. we did 12,000 last year. That's amazing. Yeah, so so really oh. it shows that you need at least a couple of visionary people mm -hmm. that see further than, you know, tomorrow. The box. And, then, and, and then you need to have patience and time. So mm -hmm. what that it, it's a really nice example of mm -hmm of checking off some boxes before you jump into something and then making it super successful. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, sh a lot of the shelters, especially now, a lot of people go to shelters, they're moving a little bit away from, from breeds itself. Mm -hmm. They want to have mm -hmm. a shelter animal. And then if you can strengthen that relationship between the shelter and then the veterinarian, where a lot of these patients will go to too, mm -hmm. Uh, that's beneficial, it's synergy between yep. the two. And, and one more piece of advice for that relationship, mm -hmm. because this was really key for us, is you can find jerks on both sides. Mm -hmm. You can find veterinarians that are not nice, and you can sure. find animal welfare leaders who aren't being ethical or aren't being nice. Those yeah. aren't the relationships that you want to form, right? So don't let one experience yeah. taint your willingness to have these conversations. Right. It's a the animal sheltering world is a big world. It's a varied world. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of room in there yeah. to develop relationships. Yeah. So anybody can go to that cat spay clinic to get their cats? Anybody. We know that uh, cats are the overpopulation of cats are still what we're struggling mm -hmm. with. And we know that cats that are let outdoors don't care if you're feral and you're tame and you're nope. a community cat, they do their thing. Yep. And so yep. we- uh, It's biology. We realized that to really impact this, we had to take away barriers. And so we're not seeing it. And, and it's just, it's self-selective. It's not mm -hmm. in a, it's, it's in a very poor part of town. So that's one geographical selection. Um, but it's it, we're not seeing people, wealthy people coming in. Mm. They want relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, they want to have that long. They have different expectations. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, we're seeing the animals that we're not getting spayed into. Yeah, previously. And and so 
doesn't matter what age they come in or well as long as they're two pounds two pounds mm -hmm. two pounds or bigger that's it yep and then they get mm -hmm. spayed and, and what is spayed neutered and core vaccines mm -hmm. okay for so free. everything for free and, and and so you probably get some support for that too i guess you know we so the, we're ending the third year of the program mm -hmm. and uh we funded a fourth of it through the league a fourth through the animal assistance foundation which is a mm -hmm. grant making group in colorado um, pet smart charities and aspca partnered with us wow. so now that we're in there was those were three years the commitment so now we have to figure out what's mm -hmm. going to happen next yeah. no yeah. i understand that i yeah. understand and and do you see a decrease in um you know feral populations and that sort of thing so you have some data so supporting that this is the way to go right so we're having to look at what i call surrogate data mm -hmm. so it's hard to go count cats i mean the dc count cats a project oh. that's you know in millions of dollars to to do and it's, it's just a very difficult thing we don't have that uh, capability well right now so what we're trying to look at is um, juvenile cats coming to shelters in the metro denver area because juvenile being that there's kittens happening and uh, the intake and we are actually starting to see a decrease hmm. in that and it's gonna you know it's a huge population and anyone who's looked at population studies of trying to address cat overpopulation realize it's a very challenging thing mm -hmm. but we, we can't wait to see how this mm -hmm. comes out as we get more and more cats being in here yeah and it will take time yeah it will take time because you have to reach you know almost a certain level right in order to uh yep make change 70 plus this is awesome you know we're already at 25 minutes wow. can you believe this <laughs> so, we haven't so talked about ASP. <laughs> no, 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 we, have, we have another we have podcast yeah. we have good news you'll be back that's all ASP. Right. So, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's kind of it, it, crazy how quickly these things go i know we get chatting and then it's like oh we're out of time we which is why we do more than a lot that's why we do more than one podcast with people so we chat a lot too we do but that's the fun part it is it is so so thank you so much thanks so my pleasure wonderful first podcast and we'll see you in two weeks all right sounds great thank you dr susan little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with Recap, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Her Podcast.